Hi, I'm Beetle. And I'm Lo. And this is Queer Fandom. This podcast is not safe for work, not safe for kids, and not safe for the overly sensitive panties. I don't know what to call them. Hi, is this just an audio call? I mean, oh, I'm doing video, but if you don't want to see my face. Okay, got it. <laughs> Hold up. I just remembered that I need to pay rent. So give me like two minutes. That's fine. I'm just kind of testing the audio at the moment anyway. <laughs> hey, you look so nice. Aw. You're such a cute boy. This is like old school being low when we like lived on um video chat we lived on skype because yeah we were long distance mm-hmm. i'm glad that's not the case anymore i'm glad we survived that like insanity you sound pretty good oh good i'm not anywhere near my mic so that's good okay I'm... i do want you closer to your I, mic, mic i will when definitely we record yeah i'll definitely like situate myself a little better but i want to get this over with okay okay go uh, ahead oh we're good okay okay rent paid is this close enough is this how this goes is this how this do you sound yeah you sound pretty good uh, all right let me get a little closer let's do like a little test test here so cock cock titty donkey dick <laughs> big milky tits <laughs> <laughs> recording hello hey hi 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 baby hi (laughs) so thank you for doing a third episode with me i um had some fears and self-doubts and then i listened to them and i was like i wasn't as bad as i thought i'd worried a little bit but i'm I'm not worried anymore it was kind of scary because a bunch of people listened and I mean, a yeah. bunch, okay, probably like 10, but 10 people w- was a lot. We have a lot of friends and, and you know, mutuals who are kind of interested in hearing our content. And I was like, oh, mm. oh, speaking of, what were you going to say? Go ahead. I was going to say that a lot of people that I genuinely cared about listened to this, and that made me a little bit nervous, even though these are all people that have sort of the same interests. And like, I don't know if you want to hear me talk about this, but I appreciate that they listened. I appreciate, I appreciate you all. Thank you. And it's, it's kind of interesting because like, well, okay, at least some of the people who gave me feedback, they were like, it was just like being in a room with you guys, mm-hmm. right? Which I like, I'm glad, I'm so glad I miss some of my long distance friends so much. And if this is an opportunity for them to feel like they're hanging out with us, I, I'm thrilled. I just don't know, like, would a stranger appreciate that? Like, this is only enjoyable if you know me and you. It's fine. I'm not like, I don't really care. It's fine. We're recording anyway, but. We'll find out along the line. <laughs> um, so Lo and I are spending the next two weeks at my dad's house. Um taking care of the dogs we have five dogs between me and lo and my dad uh so we're here taking care of the dogs um we're recording we're recording together today we're both in the house but we're in separate rooms of the house uh with separate microphones because i couldn't get my devices to aggregate if that's the correct word agree aggregate 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 yeah they wouldn't you're looking for (laughs) they wouldn't work with me so we're um doing a skype call to record it's old school. Uh, Lo and I were long distance for three and a half years. Uh, so it's kind of cool. It's kind of like a throwback to, to see you through the computer screen again. I'm glad you're a real, a real person now and not just a, <laughs> a, a FaceTime. But. Yeah, it's a weird bit of mis- nostalgia. It's like it's not something I missed, but now that I'm seeing it, I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. I remember that person. I yeah. remember that person that lived in my computer for three and exactly, a half years. Exactly, exactly. Certainly I don't miss it, but I am kind of charmed to see it again, and that's interesting. I would actually love to hear from other people who've been in long-distance relationships that originated within fandom spaces like ours did. Because I feel like, for me, there was this really weird um, dissonance between the you that I knew online and in my phone and on Skype and the you that would, like, sit next to me in a restaurant or, like, in a taxi. Like, for me, there was, like, (laughs) oh, my God, she's a real person. She's corporeal. Like, that was very strange to me and I used to have these anxiety dreams. I don't know if you remember this, um, but I used to have these anxiety dreams where 
you were two people. You were both the the girl that lived in my phone that I knew from from New Jersey. And you were also this real person that I went on dates with and I, I saw musicals with and all of this. And like, I felt like there were two people. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm cheating on Lo. And I wasn't, they were both, they were both you, but it was, it was strange that there was like, you know, because there's, there's always one way you present yourself through the internet and as a fan and in fan fiction and especially role play, you know, and then you meet each other and you're like, okay, so we're not the people we're pretending to be. Like, let's just get that out here right now. No, no, but I think um, you and I sort of have a, a good balance of those things. And I think that's that's healthy um, in any sort of relationship that you're transitioning from the internet, especially in fandom, into real world. And that's really rad. Like, you and I have um, conquered that format. And is this is this a good time for our, like, kind of personal announcement? Go ahead. Um, we are very recently engaged. Uh, these uh, took me on vacation uh, about two weeks ago and, and proposed um, under the California, San Diego County night sky in Anzo Borrego um, National State Park. And it was in front of this giant, beautiful metal dragon sculpture. And I'm, I'm not a crier and I wept like a baby. It was so sweet. And you did such a good job, and I'm so happy. It's very exciting to start the the next chapter of our lives, which have already been on on the same path together. It's it's really incredible. Okay, I love you. I love you. Um, can we move on? Yeah, <laughs> I'm bashful. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know we got we got really personal there, which is interesting because we are talking about something that is I always consider very personal to myself. I consider it sort of my um my private life and a hobby that like I don't share with a lot of people, and and sometimes I think that causes uh, attention and some distance from my real world. Friends. We were just talking about this today. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot lately because this is something that's been coming up um, for me. So I would say <laughs> a lot. I know it's. it's I want to. I want to say. I want to say it real fast because I think it's can... interesting, and I think I'm going to say it, I'm going to interrupt you real fast, and then you can continue. Which Go for is it. It, which is that. Um, Lo was recently on a work trip with with colleagues and you know you drink when you're at these like conventions and you guys are staying in hotels together but regardless whatever she's like kind of drunk with some of her coworkers um and it came up that one of her coworkers knew that she or was aware that she or had um tangentially witnessed this uh, but it was aware that Lo wrote fan fiction or participated in these like queer fan fan spaces and um I don't think he meant any harm but but I got like a pretty good meltdown <laughs> off my uh, my new fiance there yeah, I had a, a meltdown on my private Twitter, which I don't think is really for anything except for me um, uh, having existential crises. Um, crises. So this was, crises. Yeah, this <laughs> one. This one upset me a lot because um, we'd had a dead sober, like twelve o'clock in the afternoon conversation, maybe two years ago, where we were sort of poking fun at the way a, a distant colleague of ours writes really wordy emails that are super run on sentences. And I was kind of like, as we were talking about how it's hard to understand what the gist of it is, I said something to the effect of, I like to write like this for fun, but this is not the way to write a work email. Um, and he was like, oh, you write for fun. And I said, yeah, I write short stories. And he said, oh, you must write fan fiction. And me, as someone who really works very hard to separate um, sort of this personal hobby of mine from um, people I know in the real world who almost, I would say, like a, a, a walls up, barriers up detriment thought yeah. well he guessed so I'm just gonna laugh and say yeah please don't look for it um and this was I what did I say like two years ago this this was quite some time ago and and on this work trip this past week was the first time it came up um and I've been sort After of like having yeah I've been sort of have a sort of having a crisis about it <laughs> um but you know that's I think that's some of the the one of those tricks that you have with this hobby where it's like you have an online persona, and nowadays, um, and this is different from when uh, B and I were growing up on the internet, it's like your personal life did not, or your public face, your name did not touch your internet right. life. Um, what you did in fandom online was completely anonymized. You went by a fake 
real name and a screen name that had nothing to do with your real world like our emails do nowadays yeah email addresses were like novelty phrases from like the thing (laughs) you were a fan of at the time or a song you were really into and like it was very very hard to trace your real um name to what you were doing on the internet unless you were really digging into like ip addresses and stuff now it's just like a backwards image search on Google or like yeah. a fucking like email address poll and you can find everything you've done. Yeah, which which like you should still be able to separate. I I did a sloppy job separating those two things, I guess. My colleague is um just slightly older than me. He's in his mid thirties. Um, he is internet savvy. Like I knew this was kind of a possibility. Uh, I'm really glad that he didn't bring it up, um, before this or try to get into specifics in our conversation. Actually, what he said to me was I found it. I read the first few words and I thought, I can't read this. I shouldn't, I shouldn't <laughs> I know. I want to know. Out. I, I feel like I have some guesses as to what he found because I feel like it's got to be something sort of recent. It's probably my it's probably my AO3 based on when we had this conversation. It was probably um, nothing more recent than my It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> Matthew Dennis fan fiction. I'm very certain that's the thing. And, and when we had this conversation, that was the one I'd sort of harped on because this coworker and I often talk about um, our love of, of comedy. And I thought when we had that conversation – Oh, God, I hope he doesn't see my It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan fiction about okay. Mac and Dennis. Oh, <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't. And I think he did. And I appreciate that he his his way of talking about this with me was, hey, I came across it and I didn't read it because I know this is something that I should not read. This is for you. And, and he backed off. It still upsets me that he found it. But I should have done better care to separate those two parts of my life but there's some crossover i have friends from fandom that i know in real life i have several i have many of them i'm gonna do a shout out to like mary who i know has listened to this and is very sweet and is a longtime friend of mine tally Um, just tally just followed us on twitter too so oh, hi, hi, Tally. Hi, Tally and Mary. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoy Dragon Con. As far yeah. As there. <laughs> having fun. Please don't, um, please don't not want to see us next year when we definitely go to Dragon Con. Please don't be over us. I love you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, fuck, what was I going to say? Was, oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, that I feel like for like a coworker, for like a heterosexual, cis male coworker to discover your fan fiction. I feel like um it's always sunny is like one of the best fandoms that you could have <laughs> because it's like it's a funny show. There's obviously some weird sexual tension between Mac and Dennis. Like it's there, it's written in and, it's and we're canon. just Yeah, it's canon. Yeah, it's definitely canon. So we're just playing <laughs> off of that. Um I think that's better than like I don't know. I don't want to start a list of the you know worser things that he could have found, but honestly I think you should take um comfort in the fact that it was a comedy uh and you know it wasn't abo it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like mpreg or like male lactation or anything you know it was it was just like a straight up like this is a comedy and i like these two and i think it's kind of funny and hot when they yeah that i mean that fic is just kind of about their like quiet in between moments some of which are ridiculous and some of which are just kind of sweet so i mean it could have been a lot worse oh my Fuck, it could have been worse. Can I convince you to, like, read your Mac Dennis fan fiction to us? Yeah, maybe. I don't think it'll be... I'm I'm worried it's not interesting, because okay. I, in my memory, in my perspective, I think it's sappy. I think it's sappier than I would have wanted it to be. But I was... um When I was writing that, I was trying to deal with, like, the end of a relationship in my life that I, like, wasn't happy with. And I think, like, me trying to find little romantic moments in something absurd um, was very much a reflection of of me trying to deal with something in my life that I wasn't happy with. So I guess I'm a little embarrassed about it. I might be rejecting that onto it. But um, I love Mac Dennis, and I'm really proud that I wrote something for it that I'm ultimately really happy with. I will say, um, we will put this away for now, but maybe maybe we can like dig some stuff up or read some stuff and maybe instead of um maybe not even necessarily reading our own fic maybe if we have people who want to like send in fic or something like that we'll like read little portions of it i would love to like read some people's fanfic oh yes i love fanfiction of all shapes and sizes and types like if you yeah if yes we'll we'll figure out how we want to handle that
so yeah, we rambled for a little while. I can't remember where we started, but we've ended here. It's a problem you and I have no, in, but... in the episodes. Oh, I know what I wanted to say Please. right off the bat. And we're like 15 minutes in, but like, um, I feel like we're probably going to start every single episode with like a corrections because I just feel like this is going to be the nature of this podcast is people are going to be like, actually. Uh, so the first one from my best friend Kaylee is um, that in The Last of Us, Ellie's always been a lesbian. All right. I thought it was like a revelation with the second one that was like, ooh, ah, oh my God. I guess it's just that she's older and like can kiss a girl now. I don't like know. I don't know anything about it. Made me like a little embarrassed because I talked about the game, but like I don't actually know anything about it and I haven't played it and I don't know any of the canon and Kaylee does. Um, (laughs) So anyway, I wanted to just come out with that. And I just want to own up to shit I don't know because I talk like I know what I'm talking about and is one of my life skills and it's one of the things that has gotten me as far in my life as I've gotten so far is my like ability to bullshit my <laughs> way through situations. But I just want to like put it out there that I know I can be wrong. Just tell me I'm wrong. I'll cry about it in my own time and then I'll come back to the podcast and I'll say, sorry, here's the correction. Your ability to bullshit is one of the things I love about you because I am not like I can't fake anything. Um, so that's appreciated. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about Last of Us, but I think that kind of um, is part of the like the culture of fandom and that sometimes you think you absorb things and you're pretty sure you know something, but you don't because that's that's what fandom is. Like we end up in this echo chamber of like, OK, well, I'm mutuals now with this person who's also into this one thing I'm into, but then uh, they like this other thing. And now I, I seem to think I know something about that thing. And it just sort of spirals into madness. Yeah. We all um, make a lot of assumptions. Another thing I wanted to mention, just like, I don't know if we're just like spitballing until we get into the meat of the episode, is I recorded um, an episode for another podcast I do today, uh, which is Triple F Dogcast. is a podcast about um, dogs and dog training and dog behavior that I do with um, a very, very longtime friend of mine that I used to train dogs with. And uh, we were, she told me to plug this show. And so I plugged this show. And she was like, oh, that's really interesting. She's like, I recently learned about the thing where, like, whenever there's a lesbian in a show, they kill them. I was like, oh, yeah, bury the yeah. gays, yeah. And then we had, like, a great conversation about it. And she was like, yeah, I recently learned about that. And, like, I've started to notice it. It's just nice when my, I, you know, I don't have a ton of straight friends, but I do have, have some. And the ones that I have are people that I've held, I've held on to from high school before I came out as something other than heterosexual. And, uh. It just means a lot to me whenever they put themselves out there to, you know, understand or or support or be an ally. Otherwise, we have the most amazing straight allies in our lives, you and I. Truly. truly. We're very lucky. Very, very lucky. Um, And Audrey's awesome. And if you guys are interested in dogs or have a dog or need some dog training help, um, the Triple F podcast is, is pretty incredible. So I recommend that. So I, I now that we've now that we've plugged, I think it's time to, <laughs> to hit into the the meat of our episode. Is that are you ready? Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I'm like okay. a little I'm like a little drunk and super nervous, so let's do it. Oh good. Um that's fine. That's the perfect, perfect mood. So we talked <laughs> a little bit we talked a little bit at the beginning of the episode, um, sort of about um separating your your um, internet life from your real world life and how those were different in different times. Uh, so I'm going to turn this to B since the last episode, we talked about sort of my fandom history in this abridged way that didn't touch on, I don't know, 40 or 50 things and just kind of <laughs> jump from. Uh, wow. Big that's a lot. I know it's embarrassing. Um, I, cause I'm a little all over the place. I'm scatterbrained when it comes to, to fandom. Um, but B, you've been a little bit more, um, focused over time so let's let's sort of start at the beginning a little bit how did you find fandom okay so my fandom timeline is vastly different than yours but I don't think I'm alone in my sort of experience so the very first thing I will um put out there is that one of the first books I like read and loved and reread and loved and reread and cried for and like one of the first pieces of fiction that really grabbed me and moved me was the first uh, installment of the Warrior Cats series. 
Which I've recently been like combing Twitter for like warrior cats content and I can't believe the shit I've come across. It's so good. I came across one that cataloged all of the main cats and how many times they've canonically taken a shit in the story. Like how many times it's been written about. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just like no, shit po- Twitter shit posts, but like it was just so funny to me. Um, so yeah, Warrior Cats is like one of the first books I read. And actually one of my, my solid, um, not first books I read, but first like chapter book I loved, first fiction I loved. And I have very vivid memories of sitting in a chair in my parents' um, house reading that book. Uh, so that was, that was early on and that influenced me a lot in, I guess, like the type of storytelling and the fact that it was, um, you know, personifying cats and this whole idea that your consciousness could maybe enter another being or whatever it is. I just was really, really into it as an animal person growing up, like zoo books. I don't know if you know what zoo books are, but they were like monthly, um, And, like, they weren't, like, magazines. They were, like, a little nicer than magazines. And it was, like, about an animal or about, like, a part of the country. Whatever. So I used to get zoo books and was a big, big animal fanatic and grew up on Animal Planet and Discovery Channel and that sort of stuff. And so then I found Warrior Cats and finally it blended um, my interest in animals into fiction. And so that was kind of the launch pad. The next thing was Neopets. Of course, naturally. We, I think uh, if you're of a certain age, everyone's had a Neopets phase. I am yeah. one of those people. I mean, how, so how long did you spend? Like, what was your Neopets interaction time? I mean, just Not that uh, it's a competition or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a story that I think is sort of similar to your own, um, my best friend at the time, her name was Jenna, um, we used to go to each other's houses and play Neopets for hours. There's only one computer at each house. Um, so we would just play with one of each other's uh, Neopets for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, probably hours. Probably we'd see each other on like a summer day and like, 10 in the morning and hang out till after dinner like playing Hell neopets yeah, exactly i don't i don't think we were as hardcore as you and your childhood best friend katie were this was a katie story right yeah well i was just i mean it always comes back to katie because i spent so many years with her um my childhood best friend and i spent ages three to um 17 together you know it was just many many years of friendship but yeah we would spend like 12, 13 hours playing Neopets, and we had two computers in my dad's office, uh, and we would just sit across from each other and just play all day long, sometimes barely speaking to each other, and sometimes we were in different houses, and we would be on the phone together, not even speaking, just playing Neopets together, um, <laughs> but, so that was, like, there was a, we stacks and stacks of printer paper with, like, pencil and crayon, where we drew our, like, own website, like, we built our own Neopets on, like, Xerox paper, um, and actually, while I'm on that, the Neopets topic, Neopets ta- taught me how to code when I was a kid. Me um, too! Yeah, like, wow. I, I had, like, my own shop where I sold, you know, food and paintbrushes and all that sort of shit, so I, I learned HTML, you know, and then I, and then I got a Zanga. And then I knew how to, to, you know, edit my Zanga. And back when MySpace allowed a certain amount of um, HTML customization, you know, like I I learned that stuff from Neopets and that made my internet experience so much more, um, I could come into any space and just like make it my own. So that was one thing I gained from Neopets as far as like moving into fandom culture. The other was the concept of role play. So there was like discussion forums on on Neopets and there was often um, role play communities that were... Uh, you would embody one of your Neopets and you would interact with other Neopets. And um, the character I would role play the most often was a, a loop, a lupe. I don't know what the um, like agreed upon pronunciation of that Neopet is, but the wolf guy. <laughs> I remember. He was painted with the flame paintbrush. Oof. And I know, so sexy. And his name was Redwall, which if you know what the Redwall series is, it's another series where all the characters are like mice or owls or rabbits or something like that. So I was just obviously in deep at that that point in my life. Um, so I started participating in Neopets roleplay. And this is actually kind of an interesting um, moment in this timeline because it will, I, I kind of get into something and then I abandon it for a long time, but is through... Um, conversations with people on Neopets and also through conversations with people. Um, I was also very active on like horseback riding forums as a kid, like young rider forums and stuff like that. Um, I cannot remember, and I wish I could for the sake of the podcast, but I cannot remember where I got introduced to this. But somewhere during the like early Neopets role-playing days, someone, I found somebody's Harry Potter fan fiction. 
and I read this one Harry Draco fic and I can still like remember certain details of it there was like some like argument in the mess hall the dining hall and then they like went out into the hallway and there was like a little alcove in the, the aisle and Draco was like holding a fork the whole time and like threatening Harry with the fork um and then Harry like did a spell on the fork and it like melted or like vanished or something like that and then they were just le- like left there with their like hard dicks you know like they were like pressed up against the wall and like Draco's like fighting him and then like Harry makes the fork vanish and then they're just like erect and have to deal with that <laughs> I, I want to say for a second here that other than the fork I feel like I've read different variations of this fic a thousand times and I don't get sick of it not that I still read Harry Draco but like when I was into Harry Potter, like I could read that, like, oh, we fight until there's something goes wrong, and then there's like harsh sexual tension, I like mean, a thousand times. I'm a huge fan of that dynamic, but yeah. also there is a certain um, uh, formula to Harry Potter fan fiction. Yeah. And I read that fic. I was young, I was probably 12 years old when I read that fic. Um, and I was aroused by it incredibly, loved it. Read it a couple times and then immediately, like, deleted the link, deleted my um, internet history. Like, I felt weird about it. You know, like, I read and I felt weird about it. And so I put it away for a long, long time. So we'll come back to that. From Neopets, I guess, do you have any questions about Neopets? Because I'm going to move into something similar. No, please. I think you're going to go to where my next question was. So I'm going to let you you leave that off. So from Neopets um, and from doing role play with Neopets amongst other people on Neopets.com, I found my way into like GeoCities role play websites. Um, I don't know how much time you spent on GeoCities, but a lot of time it was like, you know, uh, a main piece of art a couple paragraphs of information, and then there was forms. And the way that uh, GeoCities roleplay would work, would some of them were auditions, some of them were just anybody goes. And um, I tended to participate in horse and wolf uh, roleplay. Yes, this is what I wanted. (laughs) I kind of, um, I mean, I was an animal lover always growing up. I sometimes felt kind of confused about myself, I guess. And so I think like getting into to animals was a big part of it. But kind of actually embodying these characters and role playing was super, super empowering. My family totally knew about it because I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours doing it a day. This was when I'd have to use my dad's computer. So like they all knew what I was up to and I was always really amped about it. And I would like and very, very quickly, I think within the first um website and i still remember i my very the very first uh horse roleplay website i joined i played a horse her name was zori it was spelled z x o r y if you want to know how old i was when i created oh, this character my goodness please one one more time zori x z x o r y pronounced oh, zori bless your heart she was black with a silver mane and tail and um, silver feathers on her on her feet. Um, she was a shire. Not that that means anything to anybody who knows nothing about horses. You know, I, I found a picture of a horse online that I thought looked cool. And I learned how to use Photoshop to put a cooler background in. It was a beach. It was like a Caribbean beach that this like black and silver horse was running down. And I used Photoshop to put her name on it. And I picked like a slogan for her and all this shit so that I would have art that would go with the paragraphs I was writing. And it really turned into this like huge creative experience for me as a 12, 13 year old learning computers and learning the internet. Very, very quickly I found myself in the like uh, mating channels of (laughs) of these like horse and wolf um, role play, role play forms. And so that was kind of like the, that plus the like, teen rated Harry Potter fanfic I had read like maybe a year before or something six months before um reading these uh role play accounts of animals mating was incredibly um I was interested I guess is the way to put it you know it was eye-opening it was eye-opening and um I read a lot of it before I really understood what I was reading and I participated in a lot of it before I really learned what I was writing and uh, I kind of hung out in that world until um, I got my own horse when I was 14 years old. And I um, kind of lost internet culture as a whole. Get out of school, I would go to the barn, I would ride my horse until the evening, I would come home, eat dinner, and do my homework and sleep. I wasn't a member of any GeoCities websites. Uh, I certainly wasn't playing Neopets anymore. And so there was kind of like a couple years of dormancy there. I don't think that's terribly uncommon. Um, 
fandom is sort of a hobby in the way that like having horses I, they're very different but it's a hobby like it's how you spend your time they're not that different i just want to say <laughs> as far as like hyper okay, fixation well, goes yeah um, the way the way that fanish people are with their fandoms is very similar to the way that horse people are with like equestrianism i will say they're similar and i will say that as a person who experiences hyperfixation, it makes sense to me that I w- had to put one hyperfixation aside to hyperfixate on my horse and my horseback riding career <laughs> for those years that I was doing that. I've seen the infighting in the horse worlds from you, so um, I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, they're they're fairly similar. I mean, I've definitely noticed that um, in points in my life where I've had relationships that are are not you, I've been distracted from fandom. And fandom is always a weird gateway uh, to pull me to pull me out of those relationships. Isn't that always Actually, the case, though? That that sounds sort of negative toward fandom. I think it's sort of I get bored with the. It, it, I think it goes hand in hand as I get sort of bored with the relationship. I don't like the person, and fandom crops up as the like, "Hey, this is what made you happy. This is what made you, let's just say it, sexually satisfied." <laughs> um, in its own way, like it's not obviously another person, but like it hits sort of some of those like emotional needs I guess that we all have as people so like yeah another hobby is distracting from fandom it fandom is a hobby and it's also just like a way of filling the void whatever that void may be I think that a lot of people find fandoms at transitional periods in their life because you need one you know it's like for me uh, my mom was dying and I found Final Fantasy 15 and 15 took me through the hardest moment of my, you know, the hardest months of my life. So, you know, I think it's not even just necessarily a relationship running its course, but I just think we tend to find fandom at points in our life where we so desperately need it. Let's hit the the next point. So far we've done Neopets and we've done horse role play. So what is the, I mean, let's, we're sort of discounting that brief interlude um, into (laughs) Harry Potter, I suppose, because I know that that'll probably make its appearance a little later on. Yeah. Uh, So what is number three? What is the big number three? Um, From ages 14, when I got my horse until um, 16, I was pretty present in the, in the real world. You know, I I was at the barn, I was in marching band and I didn't have the time. Um, But I would say like around junior year, you know, mental illness eventually rears its ugly head in all of us. Um, And that's kind of when like the bipolar disorder kicked in and um, I started to have my first couple challenges in that regard. And that was also the same time I found the third big fandom. What I kind of count as my first fandom, which is uh, Spring Awakening. Um, Hell yeah. The Broadway musical Tony, a winner of 13 Tony Awards 2008. Um, am I wrong? Eight Tony I think, Awards? I think it's 11, but I'm. It's been, it's been over 10 years, so I don't know I the think, answer to that I anymore. I think Hamilton won 13. I don't think anyone's ever won more than 13. I think In the Heights won 11, and I think Spring Awakening won 8. But we'll figure it out later. Can't um, remember. You're all just going to have to accept it. We're not going to correct this, regardless of what the answer is. Uh, I found out this was a musical. I used LimeWire to download a couple of the tracks. This is, and this is hyperfixation, like in a perfect essence, was I heard this song um, in the late summer leading into my senior year of high school. Also the summer that I was probably the most mentally unwell, I found Spring Awakening. And I got back to school in the fall and I dropped out of marching band so I could join choir. I dropped out of all of my foreign languages so I could join drama. I completely changed my trajectory from one fandom i changed my high school career i left friends i had developed after three years i left a legacy in marching band i could have been section leader i could have been drum major i could have done any of those things and i chose not to i chose to go back to square one by being a fucking senior in the lower level drama class and choir and I did it because I was fucking obsessed with a Broadway musical. And I thought I wanted to be an actor. I'm not a great singer. <laughs> I love listening to you sing. Okay, so we're I'm not gonna, biased. We're I'm not biased. Get into it right now, but, I'm biased. Um, yeah, you know, so that was, that, was a, that was a big deal for me, getting into that fandom. To me, I didn't quite maybe understand what fandom was. I feel like a lot of our friends that have been like anime shippers since they were 10 years old. Me? Yeah, you. You kind of hit a fandom and you're like, ah, oh, this is happening again. For me, when I encountered Spring Awakening, I thought I was reborn. I was someone entirely different. 
It was also that fandom was my first experiences with gender dysphoria. That fandom was my first experience with changing my name and changing my pronoun for the first time. I had role played before, but this was my first time in a fandom where people communicated their names and shared their AIM handles and sometimes gave each other their phone numbers. Like that was wild that I was interacting with real people because in the other spaces, and maybe it was because it was four years prior or whatever it was, was that that didn't happen yet on the internet. And it slowly moved towards that, though we started to be like, yeah, I've been talking to this person every day for a year. I may as well give her my phone number. Spring Awakening was the first fandom I distinctly remember um, coming after when Facebook sort of went around um, my peers in, in high school. So, yeah, I, I think Facebook had just sort of gotten its its footing. So, yeah, that, that definitely affects things. And we were a tiny fandom, too. I wrote a ton, became a writer wanted to be a writer. Uh, it's what led me to writing for Harry Potter. I needed another fandom. And so I started to look for other stuff. I had to like get into Harry Potter to just give myself some, some writing outlet. <laughs> and then, you know, you. From there on out, you kind of dictated my fandoms. And I'm not saying that in a bad way because, um, you know, I tend to resist new media and uh, chances are I probably wouldn't find myself. I would probably, you know, have a horse Instead of, like, be in fandom, if it weren't for you, I would find a different hyperfixation. But because I have you and because you tend to take fiction in in that way, uh, you've delivered me my last five, six, ten fandoms. I don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a lifestyle for me. Um, thanks for thanks for uh, deciding that this is the right lifestyle for you because it's... it's It controls me a little bit. And I let it control me. I, like... I like kind of being led around in my emotional life by fandom. So thank you for coming on this journey with me. Um, so so you did, you rampantly did Spring Awakening and then you found sort of a supplementary fandom, which I get. I've, I've done that before, especially when I can't find all the content I need for something I'm really into. Um, and I've done that a couple of times lately where I've been like, oh, I really like this thing, but, uh, it's not delivering. So where's something else I'm sort of arbitrarily interested in that I can, I can pull some content from. Right. Um, so what, uh, what was next? What was the next major thing that, um, <laughs> sort of dragged you around? You know, I don't have a very good memory. That's okay. I, I I'm not. This doesn't have to be like a detailed autobiography, but it's if you remember it, if it's important to you, then in this moment, then I would say that it's something that impacted you in a major way. Okay. I think the next thing that impacted me in a major way was South Park. Okay. Particularly because it also coincided with our ball joint doll habit, oh, yeah. um, which was a whole nother thing. If you had a ball joint doll, if anyone's had a ball joint doll, let me know, because this is a weird hobby that we are super invested in. By the way, if you want to buy some of my ball joint dolls, I have a few for sale. Um, <laughs> it's a cult. Ball joint doll hobby is a cult. And um, once you're bored with them, you never sell your stuff. It's it's a guilt thing. You know, my buddy and I, Meg, I feel like talk about this every once in a while, about um, having closets full of ball joint doll stuff <laughs> that we don't sell. And the longer you get away from it, the less you know about the things you bought. And then it's harder to sell them, and it's a nightmare. It's a physical nightmare. So um, South Park brought us, we had the ball joint doll hobby, and we had various ball joint dolls that were, for us, um, aged up adult versions of the characters in South Park that we got to kind of decide what they looked like and, you know, what they wore, and it was a lot of fun. Also cosplay. It was my first experience doing cosplay was the um, South Park uh, fandom, and I have this very vivid memory of being in your college dorm. I had, we'd been long distance dating and I flew out to New York City <laughs> and I stayed with you at your dorm and we did South Park cosplay. And we went to like Central Park yeah. and like took a couple photos of ourselves, like photos of us like making out. And then we posted them on DeviantArt. <laughs> <laughs> They're still up there. <laughs> yeah, I haven't touched my deviant car uh, art account in years, and I don't think they delete old accounts. So, yep. So, yeah, I would say that that was an influential one for me. I found myself writing um, in that in that universe, which was nice because um, the stuff that I had been writing out of Spring Awakening eventually devolved into AUs of AUs of AUs, and the South Park universe is this 
sprawling, vast, endless, every possible thing that you could ever imagine can happen inside that universe. So it gave me a lot to work with. Um, what would you say was the next um, impactful fandom for you? Supernatural. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> Super, supernatural. Uh, I was a DSTL shipper, which is off brand for me by the way because um supernatural offered a ship of a particular interest of mine which i didn't go for just because i'm not a sam fan <laughs> that's fine i'm not trying to like make enemies or anything i just thought I don't know. no i'm on the same page i love i love brothers um sam does not i'm not interested in sam this doesn't have to become the anti-Sam podcast, no, so let's move on. No, it's not. It's um, not. I love him in the show, but he doesn't inspire that sort of, like, off-show, like, let me explore his thing. Continue. I'm sorry. I'm turning this into to my feelings about Supernatural. So a couple reasons that Supernatural was impactful to me. The first of all was that it was a genre I was not comfortable with. I was not good with horror, and I know that eventually Supernatural was not horror. The first season was a little jumpy, and the second season was a little spooky, and I don't know if you remember, but you showed me the first first episode of Supernatural <laughs> in your dorm, and I cried. Yep, I, I remember. cried. <laughs> what the fuck is that bullshit? <laughs> so yeah, that was one, I, I liked that it challenged me. It was a genre I had never been into before, and it kind of opened my mind with like, I should just swallow content and find what I like. It also really made me want to buy a classic car. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. You and I used to drive to like yep. fancy car shops and just look at their classic cars. Yep. My interest in the fandom affected my interests in my daily life and kind of like the things I was into at the time. That's awesome. I, I sort of uh, discount, not discount, but I forget about Supernatural. How? Maybe maybe because it's still going and I'm not watching it anymore. Uh, I feel like I've left it rather than it left me. So so what's next? What's next on the fandom adventure? You and I got back into South Park a second time. We cosplayed. We um, wrote a ton. You and I had an incredibly expansive uh, AU universe that like I had like a binder for. Mm-hmm. That second time in South Park, I feel like, was like an um, avalanche into fan culture for us. We went to our first anime expo in South Park cosplay. For me, it was like this first, like, I don't know, realization that there was just, I could continue doing what I was doing, being queer and like getting off to and being inspired by and embodying this fiction I was interested in. And there were a lot of people that were doing that in a lot of different ways. And so the fact that South Park brought us into the kind of like uh, physical interactions with fandom, like con culture and mm -hmm. cosplaying at conventions and doing cosplay photo shoots and developing relationships with other people that cosplay, that to me was like a huge shift. Um, obviously I've had a couple major fandoms since then, but for a long time it was just a bunch of small fandoms because I was just having fun. I was like, wow, look at all this stuff I can make gay. And, you know, <laughs> I would just like be interested in a bunch of different things at once because it was exciting to me that I could do that. And I suddenly had the permission to, I guess, in my early 20s, just be like, fuck it. Because like you mentioned it earlier, and I know I said this in a previous episode, but I always thought that this would be a part of me I would have to repress. Mm -hmm. I always thought this would be something I'd eventually have to put away and grow out of, which is something that, like, I know there's been some dialogue, especially on Twitter lately, about, like, young fans not really understanding adult fans. But I'm just, like, so – I was just so grateful and relieved to learn that I didn't have to get rid of that. Yeah, it's it's a hobby. It's a true love. I mean, could you imagine when you were a kid if someone told you that, like – as you're approaching 30, you had to give up horses or that chess players had to give up chess at a certain age. It's insane. It's, it's a hobby. It's a passion. It's something you do to fill your time that inspires you. Um, I'm so glad that we don't feel like we have to give that up. Yeah. I'm very grateful for not, for being able to continue to, to uh, play in this universe for all the years that I have. You know, I just wish everybody would be in a relationship where they can express that. Yeah, God, or at least someone that you don't have to hide it from. You know, if you're going to continue in this hobby, which is like a really fun and incredible hobby, it's, it's nice to not have to feel like you need to tuck it away. So what comes next? Am I missing anything? Or should no, I just I move into the... I think you can jump into the 
the big one. So, well, I guess I should say One Direction. I should mention One Direction first. We mentioned RPF in an earlier episode, and we didn't say what RPF stands for, but RPF stands for mm. real person fiction. Mm. Usually bandom or maybe about, like, actors or something. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of it. And I spent, like, many years, like, wrestling with the morality of it. And I would, you know, delete my internet presence and destroy all my fanfic and have these meltdowns. And then, like, a couple months later, come back to it. And it was this horrible, like, shame um, cycle that I would go through for a long time over the fact that I was interested in RPF. And I eventually came to the conclusion that it was just fiction written about fictional characters that were heavily based on a, a real person. Um, and eventually you spend enough time writing RPF and they become original characters. And Oh, yeah. So I wanted to include One Direction because um, they're significant for a couple of reasons in that uh, they're a good example of I needed them at a point in my life to get myself out of a emotionally toxic situation. And two, um, they were an RPF ship that uh, I didn't have a lot of guilt about because I was a part of it <laughs> after One Direction broke up. And also there were just millions and millions and millions of people. I mean, there's just the number of Larry Stylins and blogs on Tumblr. It was like a feast. <laughs> it was like a feast. I could just like eat for days. Yeah, I, that, I think that's one of the best things about our time in One Direction fandom is that we were not there when it was an active thing. We just got to consume years of people speculating and making content. And, so and RPF, RPF is one of my greatest weaknesses. I know it is so polarizing. It is, it is like a you like it, sometimes you tolerate it, but most people hate it. But it is... It has followed me through the years. Um, when I find those RPF fandoms, I'm like, ooh, this thing. Because you're you're writing it. It doesn't stop. And then you're putting the fiction in a world where there is no fiction. Yeah. And that is addicting to me as someone who loves a good story. That's a great way to look at it. I haven't considered yeah. it that way before. It's like, like when you have to live inside the canon of a published fiction uh, there's parameters and there's only so much breaking of it you can do before you have to like call it an AU or whatever it is. But RPF is just flat out tin hat speculation. And mm -hmm. you just get to go in there and be like, this is what's happening. This is how they interact. And you just get to write it and you really tell yeah. your, your own story. Um, and for me, it always just gave me a launch pad that had more freedom. Yeah, than it is. Than writing fic about fiction did. I think it's fairly close to, um, what do we call them? OCs. It's fairly close to original fiction. Because at a certain point, you are just spitballing. You've got a character that exists, a real person, so you have to add their sort of fictionalized uh, good and evil traits. But you never know, enough, and is, you never know as nope. much about a real, like a celebrity, because they're always mm -mm. just presenting a facade. It's always, they're presenting themselves in a particular way, especially in the case of someone like One Direction. Um, every piece of media that's put out is very carefully scrutinized before it goes out. And so this adds this whole, like... There's just not a lot there, and you have to put a lot of it in yourself, which I think you mentioned is like addicting is a good way to, to put it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the creativity is almost endless. So after One Direction, uh, it was quiet for a little while. We jumped to a couple little things. Um, Voltron and Star Wars were in there. I don't need to talk about either one of those. Um, the big one was finding Final Fantasy fifteen. Oh, my God. Did you see me just drop my computer? Yeah, it was the excitement of finally getting to mention Final Fantasy fifteen. What was that? April 2017? Correct. Wow, the first time I, I could ever remember a date of something. That's how important this fandom is to me. I mean, it's brought us a lot of important things. It's brought us some incredible friends. I mean, I think our, yours and mine and ours collaboratively, um, fan fiction and creativity was really at like a, a, a massive high. Something that, although I've been very engaged in some other fandoms where I've had friends and have been inspired before, this was something pretty unique. Um, do you want to talk about a little bit um, about your writing and, and what inspired you? For me, Final Fantasy fifteen, and I had never been a Final Fantasy fan. This was my first Final Fantasy. In fact, Final Fantasy fifteen was one of the very first video games I played start to finish myself. Um, so it was kind of a new venture into that that world. And uh, I was going through a really hard time in my life. Um, my mom was in her last six months with um, an eight-year-long disease. 
And, uh, you know, I spent many, many, many hours a day at her bedside. You know, Final Fantasy was there for me in those moments. So I'd get home at the end of the day and all I would feel is this like overwhelming sadness to sit down and pick up the controller and to have this protagonist that was also in a situation he couldn't change. And um, Noctis is a reluctant protagonist in the early stages of the game. And that resonated with me on such a really, really deep personal level because I felt like the reluctant protagonist in my own story. Like I found myself in this hardship I never anticipated and I just had to get through it. I had no other choice. And that brought um, positives and it also brought a lot of uh, challenges in itself. That fandom has been a roller coaster for me. Um, I have made my best friends in the world in that fandom. I have also made enemies and burnt plenty of bridges along the way. Uh, for me, that fandom just came to me at a point in my life where I was at my absolute rock bottom. And things have been steadily kind of growing from there uh, and improving from there. And I get healthier and stronger every single day. And a lot of that to me is a foundation I built on Final Fantasy XV, <laughs> which sounds crazy to like put the words out like that. But I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. No. When you really hit a fandom hard, when you... When you hit a fandom so hard that you like, you know, dye your hair and change your wardrobe and kin as a character, like when you get that far, it's usually because you need it at that point in your life. I agree. I needed it. I couldn't be me anymore. I had to go be someone else and it helped me get through it and it gave me the strength to move on after it. So I think more than anything, that probably has to be the most influential fandom in my life, which sounds so stupid because it was my most recent, I guess, or one of my most recents. But a couple other things that made Final Fantasy XV different for me. I'm in my late 20s. I can spend money on fandom now. I can put money into cosplay. I can go to conventions. I can buy merch, charms, and prints, and pins, and clothes. And just like, I can experience fandom on an entirely different level now than I did my last couple fandoms. That's true. I mean, there's a lot of agency that comes with being established in your life when you're interested in fandom. I mean, I think of people that I know that went to conventions when they were, you know, in their teenagers. Someone must have paid for that. You don't have a lot of freedom. Your parents must be like, when am I picking you up? When am I dropping you off? And this is just such an adult hobby that I get to run by myself. Um, I feel for younger fans. I imagine it's, it's a lot harder in certain respects. You can't buy all that cool merch. But you also earn you you also uh, earn your adulthood, and I want to just like throw a little fuck you out to teenagers in fandom who try to shame people who t are twenty five and older out of out of fandom. We're the ones producing fan content, you knuckleheads. <laughs> yeah, it's rare that the sixteen year old in fandom becomes the, as Mary would call them, the B and F, the big name in fandom, right? <laughs> Anyway, I'm talking shit about teenagers as if I didn't write hundreds and thousands of words of fiction when I was a teenager. But yeah, I mean, I got into fan fiction when I was 10 and I never really got out of it. Um, so like I've been I spent eight years being that like underage kid on the Internet, always aging myself up one or two years because it sounded slightly better to be did... 13 than it did to be 11. It definitely like, does. I've been, I've been that kid. So like I feel for that. But we didn't have Twitter back then. We weren't yelling at each other all the time as a kid were you like not in okay you weren't like uncomfortable when you would encounter like an older person fandom or something like that no god i i um i feel like the place where i really encountered it the first time was um like whedon verse like uh buffy the vampire slayer when i was i guess in early high school it was the first time i noticed that most of the fans were older i thought it was fucking cool and those people <laughs> those people went to like like Buffy the Vampire Slayer conventions that like that was the first time I really heard about conventions it's like how do you know about this stuff how did you get there like I was in awe of that conventions now are a much more popular thing much more common thing they're easier to access they're not as niche as they were back then but like I was so impressed like I wished I could afford to do those things so I was just envious I just wanted the like the money and the freedom to be able to do the cool shit that people that were in there like 30s in fandom were able yeah. to do. I can understand it comes from a resentful place. Um, and it comes with like a general discomfort with adults, especially when you're coming into a sexual identity. 
That's true. You want to engage, you want to engage in the concept of sex with other people within an age range of you. You don't want to be thinking about the fact that, you know, 30 and 40 year olds are also riding inside of this same ship that I understand why that can be disturbing to an adolescent. You are so correct. You're so correct. And you know, what's crazy is I feel like I've never considered that in this whole debate that's gone on. It's well, just like, you don't want to think that while you're out here experiencing like a, a sexual awakening of a certain sort, that there are people that are like t- 10, 20 years older that are going through the same thing, existing in the exact same space. I, I also want to say in, in relation to this conversation, you brought me back to a memory that I feel like I distinctly had when I was um, like writing fan fiction in high school where I was like, I think in a shameful way, I thought, I think I'm going to be writing about high school aged characters forever. Like I, I was like, oh, that's going to make me feel weird as an adult. But I think and because I was of that age or because I was thinking characters very slightly older than me, I was like, oh, this is where my interest is always going to lie. And you and I had a conversation uh, earlier today, a few hours ago, where I said, I'm not as I'm not as excited by these sort of. AU scenarios with like a ship we were discussing where one of the characters um, was in high school. And like, I, I think that's just like part of how fandom grows is I'm like, I'm I like, I kind of accept where we're coming from. And like, I think there's a great angle of fiction, but I'm getting older. So I'm like, uh, I want, you know, I want my characters to sort of be in their twenties or like specifically related to the thing we're into. I'm like thirties, you know, I'm like, let's go thirties. That's the oldest, I swear to you, the oldest I've ever really played in a space of characters. I'm usually interested in characters that are between two and five years older than me. Yeah. Because I feel like their life is slightly more put together than mine. They have slightly more of a handle on themselves than I do. (laughs) And currently, our biggest fandoms are characters that are in their 30s, which is very exciting to me that I'm embracing that as I continue to age. Because there was a part of me, the fear that, as you and I approach 30, that your favorite things are still content containing and or for high schoolers. And there's no shame in that. Like you can love young adult fiction and you can love um, products that are developed for adolescents. I do. I really love that kind of content. But I'm just glad that I also have fandoms and spaces I can play in that are people that are my age or people older than me that I can continue to idolize the way I've always idolized the characters that I've shipped in my life. So thank you for taking us through that journey of fandoms. It was really exciting. So many of those we've done together and some of them are uh, predate me and I love hearing about them. I love hearing um, especially about the horse stuff. I think that's my favorite thing that (laughs) I feel like I prod you to tell me things about um, every once in a while. And it's it's. I find it so fascinating because that's not a world I've ever really been in of like a sort of like original character role play but I've seen it like I I know exactly what you're talking about I've seen photoshopped images of like what like fantasy wolves and horses (laughs) like I I and I know the art style I can picture it in my head I can picture the text and the like flames that you use like I I did use a lot of flames you're right you know it's interesting that you you've framed it that way though because um after I departed from like horse and wolf role play forums um i have not written an original character since i was 12 years old i found fandom and it was easier to write in those spaces now i know like i are i've argued that like rpf is kind of original characters in the sense that you use um the aesthetic of a person of a celebrity or whatever that you idolize and kind of create your own version or whatever very much like, I don't know, creating a sim and putting them in the sims. Um, not that I'm trying to call out my fiance or anything. but um, <laughs> You're speaking my language here. <laughs> like, I haven't written an original character since then. And I've kinda, I kind of hate that. Like, I, I try, I've kind of tried recently. I've kind of created some OCs. I haven't written them. I haven't really drawn them out or anything. But at least they kind of exist in my head. And I guess that's the starting point. And I think it takes years and years to really develop OCs. I feel behind the curve that I, like, developed my first OC when I was 26 years old. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think you should keep playing with it. Because I think 
fan fiction is the perfect, perfect build up to eventually writing original stuff. I mean, I, I couldn't ima- imagine a better launching point. You're dealing with characters and scenarios and you're inspired by um, the canon and you're inspired by the fan fiction that other people are reading and fan art. Like, you, you, we exist in such a rich world of content and creativity and, and inspiration. I think you should just keep taking a whack at it until eventually something comes out that you feel really passionate about. Now is the time. We'll see. It'll end up being erotica if it's anything. Of course. It wouldn't be anything less than that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for talking to me today. I love you very much. And I'm looking forward to the next episode. Me too. Thank you for talking to me, really. You've you've shared a lot, so I I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you in a minute. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Fandom. You can email us at queerfandompod at gmail.com.